0: We've been reading the letter of Jude during our last few times together, and it's a short letter, as we've said, a short letter, 25 25 verses just before the the last book of the New Testament, Revelation. And this letter written by Jude, a brother to James, Jude, a a half-brother to Jesus, and it's a letter of warning to the church then and, and the church now. Jude has been warning the church of persons who would enter the fellowship by deception and in order to wreak havoc and to pull followers away from the things of God. In verse 4 of this letter, we, we, saw, that, we saw Jude referring to, to these wolves in, in sheep's clothing as ungodly ones. Jude refers to them as ungodly. And today, Jude says... In verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And for pay, they have given themselves up to the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. One verse, Jude gives us three names to whom these ungodly ones are compared. And and one name is well-known, Cain... Cain and Abel, and the other two names, not not as well known. So what does Jude mean, and why does it matter? What what does he mean, and and why does it matter to us today? One verse. In our time together, I've never preached on one verse. But what are we going to learn about these three? And in learning about them, what might we possibly learn about us. Three and me. Three and you. Three names. Three very short scenes. I've got to hit the high spots in our time together, but I'm, but I'm going to give you a summary, and we're going to start with the last name first, Korah. So you go to the book of Numbers chapter 16, the fourth book of the Bible, chapter 16 of the book of Numbers, and the setting is in the wilderness following the exodus from Egypt, and we read that in number 16 that Korah, one of the sons of Levi, and this is significant, Korah goes before Moses. And he takes, we read that he takes 250 of the movers and shakers there in the nation of Israel out there in the wilderness. The community leaders, 250 They form a gang, and they go after Moses and Aaron. And and they assemble together, and Korah says, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves, Moses and Aaron, above the assembly of the Lord? Ooh, They want to, in essence, commit mutiny against Moses and Aaron. And it's an impressive bunch. And Moses hears this, and his first response? He falls on his face. <laughs> wow, should, should, shouldn't that be a guide for us? The first thing he does is pray. And then he says this. He speaks to Korah and all the group and says, Tomorrow morning the Lord will make known who is his, and who is holy, and, and will bring that one near to himself. Indeed, the one whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. And do this. Take... There's these things called censers. They're they're containers of incense. Take this container of incense, each one of you. Each one of you, take one of these containers of incense, put fire in them, in the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. You're going to do this. Your 250 will do this. Aaron is going to do this. And the Lord will choose. And then Moses says this, you have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. And that's significant. Moses says to Korah, in verse 9 of chapter 16, is it too small an honor for you that the God of Israel has singled you out from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to perform the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them. You see, Korah is a Levite. If you remember about the twelve tribes of Israel, one of the tribes, the Levites, were set aside to minister before the Lord and to lead the people in the worship of the Lord there in the tabernacle. They've been assigned a job. They have a God-ordained special function, special blessing, which they have been assigned, and Korah is one of them. He's, He's a minister. And Moses says, he's brought you near. He's already done this. And your brothers, the sons of Levi... But is it too small an honor for you? Are you seeking the priesthood as well? Is it too small an honor? They're worship leaders already. These sons of of Levi, they're worship leaders. They already have a special job. But Korah wants to be a priest. And Moses says, you and all your group be present before the Lord tomorrow, along with Aaron. Each of you take his censer, put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord, and that's what they did. And the glory of the Lord, we read, appeared to the entire nation. Can you imagine? The Lord speaks to Moses and Aaron and says, separate yourselves from among this congregation so that I may consume all of them instantly. Moses intercedes. And then the Lord says, tell the congregation to get away from the areas around the tents of Korah and his followers. They come out of the tents, actually, and they bring their children out in front. They're brave. They they hide behind their families. Moses finishes speaking, and the ground underneath Korah and his followers, all those community leaders, those movers and shakers, the ground opens up and swallows them, their households, everyone who belonged to Korah, all their possessions, and they end up, they go down alive to Sheol, the Hebrew word for grave, and the earth closes over top of them, and they perish in the midst of every one of them. Is it too small an honor? Korah and these others, they're Levites, they're they're worship leaders in the tabernacle, but they are not priests. Korah is not a priest. Korah is not Aaron. Korah is not Moses. And that's the problem for Korah. It's not enough. He has been entrusted with responsibility. A God-ordained responsibility. But in his eyes, it's too small an honor. Korah has forgotten his place before the Lord. And Jude says to the church regarding these ungodly ones, woe to those who have rebelled both against the Lord and to those whom the Lord has called to minister and to lead the flock. Woe to those who rebel. Rebellion, which is in need of recognition. Too small an honor. And Jude says that these ungodly ones have also rushed Headlong into the error of Balaam. This is the next scene. We, we turn a little bit later in Numbers chapter 22. Numbers 22, Israel is, is camped out in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan opposite Jericho. And Balak, the king of Moab, sees Israel and he's nervous. They're on his property, he thinks. And he sends messengers to a soothsayer, a prophet named Balaam, and and he says, Behold, Israel is living opposite me. Now please come curse these people. They're too mighty for me. Perhaps I'll be able to drive Israel out because I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. Evidently, Balaam has this ability to bless and curse. And the king of Moab knows this. He's afraid of Israel, and so he seeks the help of Balaam. And so the king says this, and I want you to write this down. This is is Numbers 22, verse 16 and 17. Let nothing keep you from coming to me. I will indeed honor you richly. I will honor you richly. Don't forget that. And Balaam replies, he says, even if the king were to give me his house full of silver and gold... I could not do anything, either small or great, contrary to the command of the Lord my God. Sounds good. Whatever you give me, whatever you offer, whatever you promise, I, I can't do anything other than what the Lord says for me to say. The king says, I will honor you richly. There are three prophecies given by the Lord to Balaam to give to the king of Moab. This is the first one. Numbers chapter 23, verse 7. Balaam says, The king of Moab has brought me, saying, Come declare Jacob, the nation Israel, come declare them cursed. Curse Israel. Balaam says, How am I to put a curse on a nation whom God has not placed a curse? King of Moab is unhappy. And he says, I took you to put a curse on my enemies, but you've blessed them. And so the king says, come with me to another place. Do you remember what I said about a change of perspective? (laughs) Come with me, get another view, and place a curse on them for me from that place. And the Lord gives Balaam a second message for the king of Moab. God is not a man that he would lie. Has The Lord said, and will he not do it? He's not going to say one thing and do another. Behold, I have received a command to bless. When he is blessed, I cannot revoke it. The king is angry. (laughs) I'll take you to another place. Perhaps it will be agreeable with God that you curse them for me from there. On the third time, Balaam says this. Numbers chapter 24, verse 9. Blessed is everyone who blesses you, and cursed is everyone who curses you. What's interesting about that, that's straight from the first recorded conversation between the Lord and Abraham way back in Genesis 12. Hmm the king's anger burns against Balaam. I called you to curse my enemies, but behold, you have persisted in blessing them these three times. And Balaam says, Did I not in fact say, If the king were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything contrary to the command of the Lord, either good or bad. What the Lord speaks, I will speak. That's what you want a prophet, a preacher, to say. Right? Right. Balaam arises, and he departs, and he returns home. But the story doesn't end there. You turn the page, Numbers chapter 25, verse 1, this is what happens. Israel begins to commit infidelity with the daughters of Moab. Moab invites Israel to the sacrifices of their pagan gods, and Israel eats with them and bows down to their gods. Israel becomes a follower of the pagan deity Baal, and the Lord is angry with Israel. The Lord says to Moses, take all these leaders who've led my people astray, execute them in broad daylight so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses does this. And the ones who have led Israel into sin, they are destroyed, they're executed, and the nation, understandably, grieves the loss of their loved ones. I mean, they're they're people. They grieve, even though my brother has led me astray, when he is executed, I grieve that loss. They're weeping The entire nation is weeping at the tent of meeting, their place of worship, when all of a sudden, one of the sons of Israel, in his audacity, in his brazenness, brings in to his relatives a Midianite woman, one who has led them astray, and brings her in and parades her around and shows her off. Phineas is a grandson of Aaron the priest, and, and Phinehas takes a spear, walks into the man's tent, and runs the spear through both the man and the woman. The Lord says to Moses, Be hostile to the Midianites and attack them, for they have been hostile to you with their tricks, with which they have deceived you. And a few chapters later, we read in Numbers chapter 31, that Israel made war against Midian, just as the Lord commanded, and they killed every male. They killed the kings of Midian. They also killed Balaam the prophet with the sword. What? We read in Numbers chapter 31, verse 16, that Midian caused Israel through the counsel of Balaam Balaam the prophet of God to be unfaithful to the Lord. What happened? What happened? I mean, as we've heard, Balaam's plan was to speak the word of of God to the king of Moab. That was Balaam's plan. That's what Balaam did. He spoke God's word to to the king of Moab, and Balaam did this for a while. But then something happened. A moment ago, I pointed out to you that the king of Moab said, I will honor you richly. And evidently what the king of Moab dangled in front of Balaam proved to be too great a temptation. And Balaam, this prophet of God who started on the right track, along the way through his influence, and his counsel, and when you counsel someone, you are speaking intentionally. Through his counsel, Israel became unfaithful to the Lord. In essence, Balaam led Israel astray. Wow. And, and Jude, Jude tells us that these ungodly ones have given themselves up to the error of Balaam for pay. And, and maybe it's not pay in terms of a cash out. But whatever it was, it was the temptation for something else other than God. Other than following God, something proved too great a temptation. Are you and I ever tempted by other things? One more story. Genesis 4, following tragic events which take Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 4, we read that Eve gives birth to Cain, then Abel. And Abel, you probably know the story, I would think. He's a keeper of the flocks, and Cain is a cultivator of the ground. And it comes about in the course of time that Cain, he brings an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the ground. And Abel brings an offering as well from the firstborn of his flock and from their fat portions. And the Lord has regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, the Lord has no regard. Hmm. There's lots of Bible teachers who've speculated this and that and the other. We don't know why. One was chosen and one, one had regard and one did not. But Cain becomes very angry. And his face is gloomy. And the Lord says to Cain, Why are you angry? And, and why is your face gloomy? The Lord knows but he wants Cain to be a man. And then he says this, If you do well, will your face not be cheerful? And if you don't do well, if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. If you do well, you're going to know it. You know, your face will be cheerful. (laughs) Your countenance will be raised. But if you don't do well... Sin, the reality of sin, because sin is real, sin is in the world, sin is malicious, sin is intentional, sin is lurking at your door, and its desire is for you. It's intentional. And the Lord says, But you must master it. You must master your anger. Cain talks to Abel. Something I want you to notice about Genesis chapter 4, anytime Abel is mentioned, generally it's, it's with the header, his brother, Cain's brother. That's not by accident. Cain talks to his brother Abel. And it happens when they are in the field, Cain rises up against his brother Abel, And kills him. The first act of murder, born from the first fruits of envy and resentment. The Lord says to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And Cain says, I do not know. The first lie. The first lie told. Am I my brother's keeper? God, what do you think I look like? This is the first recorded example of man's disrespectful response to the Lord. The Lord says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. And and this is Cain's livelihood. And the Lord says, you will be a wanderer and a drifter on the earth. And ironically, Cain is worried that someone's going to kill him. Which is funny how our, our sin makes us paranoid. It's part of the work of sin. But despite the disrespect and the disobedience shown to the Lord by Cain, the Lord puts a protective mark on Cain. And we read some of the most terrifying, terrible words in Scripture. They're in Genesis chapter 4, verse 16. Then Cain left the presence of the Lord. What a terrible, terrible thing. Korah, Balaam, and Cain. What do these three have in common? What do these three have in common with me, with you? At the end of the day, these three speak to the biggest problem of the human heart dissatisfaction with the Lord. Dissatisfaction with the Lord. When things don't go our way. With Korah, Balaam, and Cain, evidently God did not deliver what each of them wanted. They were disappointed with God. And when what they thought they should have been granted they did not receive. And when this didn't happen, their hearts began to desire other things. These three allow pride and envy and greed and anger to have dominion over them. Their dissatisfaction becomes idolatry. And their idolatry becomes intentional. It grows legs. (laughs) It causes problems. It, It leads others astray. Their idolatry becomes malice. Just like the ungodly ones found in the letter of Jude. When things don't go our way. Maybe these three have more in common with us than we care to admit. In Matthew 11, verse 28, the Lord Jesus tells us, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If you are weary from your disappointment, whatever that might be, Mark 4 tells us that, (laughs) he refers to it as the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. If you're burdened by those, the Lord can meet you where you are. As we read in the story of, of Moses and Korah, the Lord would bring that one near. Well, you know, the Lord has come near to us. Do you know that? The Lord has come near to us. We read at the very beginning of the Gospel of John that Jesus, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory full of grace and full of truth. The Lord himself has come near and the Lord can meet you where you are. When the Savior went to the cross for you and for me, he took our sins. He, he paid our sin debt. Every sin we would, we would ever commit And that that includes the sin of not trusting him with our disappointment. If you're willing to trust Jesus with the salvation of your soul, you can trust him with everything else. And that's a promise. You can even trust him with your disappointment.